Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's that time for the Jack Riccardi Show, and here is the one, the only, Jack Riccardi. So good afternoon, Christian. I want to see if I'm right about this. Hasn't it been about a week since Queen Elizabeth passed away? I thought that was Wednesday or Thursday of last week. I can check that out. Yeah, close. About a week. Yeah, roughly. So we'll just call it a week for the sake of conversation. Is it my imagination, or did we spend about one day talking about her, and all the remaining days have been gossip about Harry and Meghan and Will and Kate? And I'm over that. I mean... it's 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 sickening, Jack. Are you? And they call them the Fab Four. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> are you suggesting? Is that ironic or like? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> what? Uh, are you are you a, are you suggesting the whole thing's turning into a soap opera or what? It's just. I mean, see, I'm being Italian. When somebody dies, we have a wake, right? And we don't make any bones about it. It's like the person's not even there. You know, you go to the wake, everybody talks, there's food, there's laughter, there's stories. The premise is that we're honoring this person by celebrating that they brought us all together. You know, we're, we're happy that we all know each other and love each other, and it's because of this person over in the corner. But, you right. know. Yeah. But, I mean, honestly, it's like they've been waiting for her to go so they could play out this, you said it, soap opera. Well, you remember, I think it was 97 when Princess Diana died in the wreck. Right. Yeah, I think that was 97. Yeah. Now, now I was just starting off you know, actually doing news and having to manage it back then. That's how old I am. And I had never seen, take away maybe the Oklahoma City bombing, just in my, my lifetime, my career, I had, I had never seen such an unbelievable media frenzy yeah. over that event. I'm not minimizing yeah. it. But the no. media coverage on the national and international level was unbelievable. I will say, though, it seemed like there was a lot more admiration for her than there's ever going to be mm-hmm. for any of the Fab Four. I think know? that's a safe bet, yeah. So I know they're try- maybe they're trying to recreate the magic, but uh, I think that was a one-time event anyway we're not going to spend a lot of time on that but good afternoon welcome to our dreadful little show join the show at 210-599-5555 we've got a new jr poll for you uh we've got rudy J from san antonio sports star who's going to join the show later this hour congressman tony gonzalez is going to join the show later on the uh, attorney general of new york tweeted this out this morning Gun-free zones in places like Times Square are essential to reducing violence in our communities. No one should be able to bring a weapon into a crowded area, and these new policies will help make our cities safer for everyone. And if you don't know the backstory of this, they have uh, zip-tied to the light posts 
around Times Square these uh, kind of chintzy-looking plastic signs that say this is a gun-free zone. Uh, and so she's celebrating that in the tweet by saying, oh, finally, this will make it safe. Is there any more offensive lie? We were talking yesterday about the most common lies and things people say when they lie to you, but if from politicians, isn't gun-free zones just about at the tippity-top of Lie Mountain? I mean, it is the, it's the most offensive, it's the most, they must think we're stupid lie they tell. They are taking a victory lap for putting up a sign. And I was thinking, if this is all it takes to make us safe, why didn't they do it sooner? We've known about signs forever. We've had stop signs and street signs and do not enter signs. If it's if it just took a sign, what took us so long? Gun-free zone. Done. Finished. 210-599-5555. This is an interesting statistic, and it comes from an interesting place. The Washington Post did an analysis of what is called cross-party campaign contributions. And it's a thing where Democrats, the Democratic Party or its organs, gives to, donates to, Republican candidates in a Republican primary. And the other party can do it, too. The Republicans can give money to a Democratic candidate in a Democratic primary. But according to the Washington Post, in this cycle... The Democrats have given $53 million to MAGA Republicans running in Republican primaries. So they have specifically given it to the most MAGA of however many Republicans were running for that House seat or that Senate nomination or governor or whatever it is. Now, the idea is that these MAGA Republicans are the weakest link. They're crazy. They're weirdos. They're easier for Democrats to defeat than a more middle-of-the-road or well-known or incumbent uh, Republican. So, for example, in Michigan, that congressman, Peter Meyer, who was one of the ones that voted for Trump's impeachment, he was knocked off by a guy named John Gibbs. Gibbs is a MAGA Republican. And the Democrats gave Gibbs a lot of money, a tremendous amount of money, because they figure they can beat Gibbs. They weren't sure they could beat the incumbent. But here's the problem with that. And as I said, both parties have done it in the past, but this is a lot of money. And and the problem with it this time is that the Democrats have framed this election as a threat to democracy, right? If 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 MAGA Republicans win, it, it could be the end of democracy. It could kill democracy. It's a loaded gun pointing pointed at the head of democracy. If they believed that, if you believe they're a loaded gun, you wouldn't point that loaded gun at your own head or the head of your country, you wouldn't risk that maybe one or two of these MAGA Republicans slips through to victory, because they will. I mean, here and there somewhere, they're going to win. And you'll have helped them while simultaneously claiming that their victory is the worst thing that could possibly happen. We know what the Democrats are doing. They're trying to save their own asses in a midterm that doesn't look good for them. Every poll looks like disaster. They need anything they can get. That's why Joe Biden is bribing college students. But this in particular just puts the lie to the whole saving our democracy argument. 
anything they can do to help us forget what they've given us the last two years, they are going to do. And frankly, the Republicans are they're they're a disappointment too. I'm not. I, I'm sorry. I'm so, I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but I, I really loathe both of these political parties. They're just they're garbage. This is a great country. It's full of great people, but somehow our two main political parties are garbage. So the Republicans, and I've talked about this before. Um, and, and and when you talk to Republicans, and I have friends that are that are very loyal Republicans, but even they will admit this. Republicans do stupid things. And one of the stupid things I see them doing is giving up too easily. They don't challenge everywhere. They don't run everywhere. They don't run at everybody. See, Democrats do that. Every Republican has a Democratic challenger. The the Democrats are making a run at everybody. They don't care what state it is. They don't care what race the candidate is. They don't care about any of that. They never, they never tell themselves, we couldn't win this. And that's even in a year when they have effed up the country. But hand it to them, they're going to try to win everywhere. Republicans don't do that. They look at places and they go, oh, well, we could never, we, we have no chance at that. Or what? I mean, they have candidates, but they don't put anything into it. Or they have token candidates or token amounts of money. They don't really try to win everywhere. I saw a poll that in Vermont, which has an open Senate seat, Vermont, the Democrat running for the seat is only ahead by single digits. I don't hear anybody talking about that race. That's closer than Pennsylvania which is all we hear about. Why aren't they trying? It's a small state. You spend some money in Vermont, you could actually flip Vermont. That's, I think it's Leahy's seat. But this is my point. They don't do it. Democrats will challenge anywhere and everywhere. Republicans are too selective. And when you do that, you signal to your voters that a race is unwinnable. If you're a Republican in a place like Massachusetts or Vermont, you just don't even, I know because I was one, you just don't even bother. You, you figure, well, the, look, the party doesn't think they can win. In Massachusetts, which is a, a currently has a Republican governor, but is an open seat, they nominated this coat holder guy who's been, who's run many times before. He's like a perennial Republican candidate. He's dull as dishwater. His name is Jeff Deal. His name is boring. And I'm thinking you're not you're not signaling that you care about this, that you want to win this thing and hold this seat, and and so I don't know how you feel about it, but that's just how it looks to me. Two ten five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. I see a lot of signs for Republican candidates where they don't even put the name of the party on the sign. And I get that. You might be thinking, or maybe your consultant told you, well, uh, people don't care about parties. That guy on the radio says both parties are garbage. But in this year, given everything the Democrats have done, why would you put your name on a sign and not make it clear, hey, I'm not one of them. I'm not part of the problem. I'm not the party that's taking women's sports away from girls. I'm not the party that left the border open so that there's hundreds of thousands of people that we don't know are in the country. I'm not the party that gave us the worst food inflation in 50 years or the highest gas prices. I'm not the party that used COVID to destroy people's businesses. 
I'm not the party that favors big tech censorship. Why isn't that on the sign? Why, for God's sakes, why aren't you running on that? Why isn't every Republican campaign ad about that? Here in Texas, we've got Cecilia Abbott on the radio telling people that Greg Abbott's a nice guy and she loves him. I sure hope so. That's her husband. But that doesn't tell me anything about anything. If I'm an undecided voter or a new voter, what does that mean to me? Every single ad with a political spouse, don't get me wrong, I'm not against marriage, but every single ad with a political spouse telling me that they love their spouse is wasted money. (laughs) There's got to be something better you can say than that. And this is what I mean about the Republicans. I mean, if ever there was a year, if they were ever set up, and they're doing these same stupid things that they do every time. Now, I know I'm making some of you mad. I'm, I, I hope that what you will take from this is, if, if you are a Republican, either call me and tell me I'm wrong, 210-599-5555, or call me and explain to me why your party does this, is doing this. Jump in here at 210 599 Fifty-five, fifty-five. talking about the midterms. And uh, the Democrats have said that this is it. If we don't get this right, it's it could be the death of democracy. Yet they're spending their money on MAGA candidates, which seems like an incredibly risky thing to do. That would be like, uh, you know, giving to the enemy, aiding and abetting the enemy. And the reason they're doing it is because they perceive, they've calculated that these MAGA candidates might be easier to knock off in a general election, in the November election. Well, it can't, they, both things can't be true. You can't be deathly afraid of these people and giving them money. And then the Republicans, I don't know, you tell me, it looks to me like they run away from the opportunities rather than toward them. They're content to play it safe and run in places that are already red. They're content to do very rote, traditional kinds of my wife thinks I'm a great person ads. I I just keep waiting for Republicans to engage on the stuff that everybody can see, everybody can, can tell is wrong. Stand up and say, we're the sane ones. We're the, we're not the people that screwed this up. We're not the people that gave you this. Don't vote for the people who gave you all this misery. What have you got to lose? 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. Damien is on KTSA. Damien, good afternoon. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, you know, hey, you know, this is one of my pet peeves, man. I mean, I'm a, I'm a conservative. I wasn't always a conservative. I'm 53. You know, when I was younger, I was I was the Democrat. But once I started working and, and had a family, I mean, I couldn't say, you know, liberal. It just it doesn't, it doesn't go. But, you know, the thing that I never understood was I'm backing these conservatives, I'm backing these Republicans, and whenever they get barked at by the Democrats or whenever the Democrats want to throw stuff in their face, they back down, they apologize, they, they try to, you know, smooth things over. And Democrats don't do that. They just come out and they throw it in the face of Republicans. So to me, this is the creation of Donald Trump. I was not, uh, I was worried about Trump at the beginning, but once I saw him finally having a backbone, and standing up against the media and telling them like it was, I thought to myself, finally, we have a Republican who's not afraid to tell these people stuff back. And to me, that was that was why and why probably he had such a big following is because 
people like me were tired of, of Democrats just dumping all over conservatives and them not having a backbone to do anything about it. I totally agree. I mean, you know, you would think they would, it, it's not complicated. You'd think they would have learned, okay, well, we may not be like him, we may not like everything he said or did, but let's copy the stuff he did that worked and make it work for us. And it's the stuff you and I have been talking about. Go to places that don't vote Republican, lay out your case, go to all kinds of voters, run everywhere. He went to every state. He didn't stay in just the red states. And I don't know why they're not doing that. Of all years, this would be the year to do that. And not only that, but when he became president, it was time for us to be united and stand up as a party. And he he fractured his own party just because he had a backbone. The rest of the party didn't have a backbone, and they backed down. And I, and I agree with you completely on this uh, Abbott uh, advertisement. I mean, I, I saw the 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 one from the liberals. I mean, that's, they were just, they grind, grinded down on them pretty bad. And then you have, in contrast, Abbott. Oh, my, I mean, he's my he's my husband. I love him. And I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, we could have done better than that. I mean, I agree with you on that. Point. I mean, you act, they're acting like they don't really want this. They're acting like they really don't want to win. They don't really want to lead. They act like they want to be the number two party. They're trying really hard to be the number two party. I, I hear you, Damien. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Um, if you think I'm wrong, let's talk about it. And I know there's people that are angry about this. I'm sure, I, I'm sure I've made somebody mad, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging. I'd like to hear an explanation for why you would run ads with your wife saying he's a super great guy and his daughter loves him and I love him. All the stuff that's gone on the last four years, all the lies, all the distortions, that's it? You've got this demagogue, Beto O'Rourke, this is what you're coming back with? Is there someone sitting at their kitchen table trying to make up their mind or sitting in the car thinking about how they're going to vote who'd be like, you know, sure do like the way his wife talks about him. Okay, he's got my vote. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Come on. 210-599-5555. They preach to the choir. It's great. It's a hell of a sermon. But it's not for anybody else. There's no outreach. Listen, I, I'm worried about this election, too. I, I don't think it's the end of democracy if the Republicans win, but I think we're, I think we're playing with fire. I think we're closer than we've ever been in my lifetime to hearing people in the quote-unquote political mainstream talk about how we need to get rid of the Constitution or it's in the way or the Electoral College or the Supreme Court or what have you. I would take this very seriously. We've just been through the last two years have been a dry run, a dress rehearsal for socialism. If you consider yourself conservative, you should be on fire talking about that. That should be on your signs, in your ads, in every talk that you give all over your website. You know what the most common thing on a Republican website is? The flag. Okay, I'm for that too. But that doesn't tell me anything. Anybody can put that on their website. I've been wanting to get this guy on our show for a long time, and I'm really glad that he's joining us right now. Uh, Rudy J is one of the hosts of R&R in the Morning on our sister station, San Antonio Sports Star. And Rudy J, thanks for coming on. Good afternoon. I know this is probably not the best time of day for you because you must get up pretty early in the morning, right? 
No, I, I mean, I'm fine. I, I normally get up about 4.30, but I've already had my little power nap. And I'm, I'm oh, glad okay, good. We've All been right. trying to make this happen. We've been trying to make this happen we for have. a while. And I'm well, glad I finally I just, got it. I was looking at everything going I'm on, and I thought, this has got to be the day. we got to do it. So <laughs> yeah, let me let me start with this. What okay. was that? I said I'm I was going to ask you email, about. So it's not your fault. Oh no, that's okay. That's all right. I'm I'm not great with them either. Um, this had to be a big topic this morning. Um, uh, Dak Prescott and Jerry Jones going on a Dallas station and saying we're going to have him back uh, fast after we had first heard that it would be several weeks. Um, it just seems like this is all wrong. Rushing him back from that injury seems wrong. It seems like it undercuts Cooper Rush. What is your what is your take on what Jerry Jones is saying about Dak? First of all, I don't believe him. I mean, I, I me personally, again, I'm no doctor, but I don't believe he's going to be back in four weeks. I think they're just keeping hope alive. But being able to grip the ball with the bone he broke and the way it's done and there's a plate and a pin, I don't really believe him. I think they're just being hopeful. And because I mean, I know last year Russell Wilson had a similar injury, and it took him like six yeah. to eight weeks. So I don't know how. And he felt like he was brought back too quickly. Back. He said that. Yeah. Yeah, he was too quick. It was too quick. So I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't. Believe I, why would? So that. I agree with you. I don't think he's right or medically right. But wh- why? Why say that? I mean, why would the owner of the team come out and say something that doesn't sound like it's going to happen? That's Jerry Jones. <laughs> that's Jerry Jones, Jack. That's just that's just how he is. That's just who he is. And I, I don't know. Maybe their doctor told them, "Hey, you know what? I think we can get him back quicker." I don't know, but I don't believe him. But I, other, why did he do it? Because he's Jerry Jones. Wouldn't you want to convey confidence in Cooper Rush right now, and not not send mixed messages about that? You know what? I think in a way he did, Jack, by saying, and that's another thing I don't believe. He said they're not looking for another quarterback. They're just going to let Cooper play. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that's the confidence booster. But that's another thing I really don't believe. I think they are calling around. But for now, this week, he's saying, hey, you know what? Cooper's our guy. So that's his vote of confidence for now. All right. I got I to gotta ask you about Monday Night Football. Okay. Um. And and I I, I, I just can't. I, I, let me let me set this up. I said before the season. I said it on this show. I thought okay. Hackett might be a surprise to everybody. I think he's going to be a good coach. I think he was really smart up in Green Bay. I like the narrative of Russell Wilson with a new team and new weapons. Yeah. So here's the debut, and um, they lose the game because they tried to kick a 64 yard field goal with a minute and a road. half left and three timeouts on the road. Why the hell would you not put the ball in the hands of a future Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the most clutch guys in sports? Why? And I know he has said he supports his coach's decision, which is a nice, loyal thing to say, but why would you do that? Right. It makes no sense, Jack. You gave the guy $200 million. If you pay somebody $200 million, you're supposed to let them work. And he dropped the ball. He, look, he's he's new. He's a rookie. He's supposed to make mistakes as a, as a brand-new head coach. It's different from being a coordinator to being the leader of 52 men. Yeah. And once he yeah. sleeps on it and thinks about it, he, he'll, he'll recognize he made a mistake. You put the ball in Russell Wilson's hands, you get the first down, 
you get more yards. Because he had three timeouts. So you get the first yeah. down, yeah. hopefully, and then you put then you give the ball to the kicker. But 64 yards on the road make no sense. He'll admit it that he made a mistake. You had a scathing post after the Texas-Alabama game where you said, <laughs> um, I cannot believe Texas fans are celebrating uh, the fact that they, they lost by only one point to Alabama. I think you said it shows how far the program has fallen. What, what did you mean by that? Well, uh, there's, a, there's a handful of schools that I feel like should never celebrate losses. Texas is one of them. Um, I know they've been down, but to see the fan base. And their head coach, Steve Sarkeesian, said as much also uh, yesterday, like, hey, Everybody's telling us how good we are. So he saw the same thing that I saw. I just saw a bunch of people celebrating a loss. And it was weird for me to see for a university like Texas. Mm -hmm. A lot of people got upset with me, and I'm fine with that. Sometimes, you know, the truth hurts. But, you know, there's certain schools that shouldn't be celebrating more victories. Texas is one of them. They're supposed to compete with Alabama. It's Texas. They print money. They have four-star. They have five-star. They're supposed to win. Well, Supposed to either win those games or be really close, and I don't think yeah. have, again they've been they've been bad for a long time. So I guess I get it, but it needed to be said, and I took some heat for it. That's fine. Well, I, I, you know, you know, you know I agree with you. Is. I mean, I don't I don't believe in moral victories, and um, if you want to say you know if you want to say we gave him a good game, uh, and we you know I think Sark called a great game. I, you know, here he is basically up against his his guru. He called a great game. Right. Uh, it was it was gutsy for the backup quarterback to come in and play well, but um, right. yeah, no, there's nothing to, there's nothing to celebrate yet, you know. Hopefully, that a will lot come. of people told me they weren't celebrating. They told me like, you know, again, I took a lot of heat for that. Like, hey, yeah. we're just happy we're going in the right direction. So again, I can kind of sympathize with them, I guess. But just but right in a way, my, you were paying them a compliment. Team. You were saying this is what a you know this is what a, a, a like an FCS school would do. Right. If, if they came right. within one point, that would be the greatest moment. They put a they put a banner up. They name a building. But but you're saying you're a you're a you're a pure you know you're a blue blood program. Yes. You know, you, it, it has to yes. be. A, so it has to be a win. What about UTSA going up there on Saturday after what has just happened? Is this a potential game that the Roadrunners could pick off? You know, we we talk with Coach Trailer every Monday, and we talked with him this Monday. He's he's worried his team is a little beat up. I think Texas is also a little beat up. I want to give UTSA a puncher's chance because the quarterback situation in UT, Ewers is out. Who knows if Card is going to be able to play. They may be down to their third string. But they're so big. Compared to UTSA, they're so big and much stronger, much faster. It's going to be tough for UTSA to come out with the win. But mm-hmm. I know one thing. I know they'll compete. But yeah. I don't know if they're going to be able to get that win in Austin. Well, I think they saved their season against Army. I really do, and and uh, it was they a are a program. Game. Those that can... kids are big. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. Army kids are so big and so strong. <laughs> I mean, they're they're beat up. Then you yeah. go to overtime twice. Yeah. You went to overtime against Houston and then Army, so it's yeah. going to be tough for them to come away with the victory. It's going to be fun to watch, though. A lot of people, a lot yeah, of UTSA people up there. All right. Hey, it's been great to have you. I hope you will come back again, and I enjoy you and Rob in the morning on Sports Star. So thank you for the time today. No, hey, thank you, Jack. Anytime, anytime, let me know. I'll be here.
All right. We'll once in a while we'll connect our emails. We'll make it happen. Thank you, Rudy J. Four forty four. All right, 444 at 550 and 1071 KTSA. Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show, 210-599-5555. So um, this thing about uh, the self-driving uh, taxi caught my interest, caught my attention. I, I, and I even, even just the idea of a taxi, because it seems like people are more about Uber now, but um, this is a company that's doing... Um, Autonomous vehicles. You you hail one, and you get an autonomous uh, vehicle. So you know you're getting it. How would you be as a passenger? Because here, here's where I'm coming from. I'm a nervous passenger when there's a human being driving the car. I, I'm a nervous passenger when that's somebody I know really well and have ridden with before. I'm that guy that's like, you know, doing the, the, the ghost pedals on the floor. You know, there's no, I'm like hitting the, the brakes and there's no brake. And, and I try not to obviously brace myself because <laughs> it offends people, right? When you act that way, when they're driving and you're like doing the crash position thing. But I'm, that's how I am. And there's somebody driving and they're driving well. I, I mean, I either do that or I just have to not think about it. I'm so used to driving. I drive 99.9% of the time. I'm always the driver when I'm with other people. Always. So I'm a nervous passenger. I don't know how, I don't know how I could get in a car and trust that some software, you know, I mean, I don't trust, I don't trust the apps on my phone. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't trust, you know, DoorDash. I'm going to get in a car and the computer is driving it. What if somebody didn't wipe off a sensor or charge something or put the wrong doohickey in the wrong plug? I mean, you know, talk about faith. How would you be? I mean, maybe this sounds crazy to you, but that would be hard. That'd be a hard one for me. Would you get into a self-driving taxi? That's the JR poll. You can vote at KTSA.com or when you call in and join the show, 210-599-5500. 55. Speaking of travel, Don Cooper, our producer, uh, brought this story to my attention. And it's, it's funny because we, we give Don a hard time about watching The View. And years ago, he did watch it a lot, like just to where it became something we felt like we needed to do an intervention. But, his, his explanation was always, I, I watch it because I find material for the show, and he has found a lot of good material. Don, you have found a lot of good material for our show on The View. So, Well, thank I'll you for you that, that acknowledgement. I, I kind of feel like you've, you may have had other, you, you kind of had a hankering for it, but I, I won't, okay, I won't go there. I'll never tell. But, <laughs> that's right. Um, so Ana Navarro is one of the hosts of the view she's a um she's their token republican she um she did an interview in people magazine where she talked about how um she has decided uh to fly to new york and then fly home again she lives in miami she's going to fly to new york and fly home again every time she's on the view which is going to be a minimum of twice a week so four flights a week every week every week because she doesn't want to live in new york 
She says, we love Miami. I'd be crazy to live in New York, which is in itself an interesting admission, right? For someone who's liberal to admit that you'd be crazy to live in New York is, is striking. But anyway, but when I, when I took from this was, have you ever noticed how many people in the media and in political sort of elites um, travel and fly so much? And yet we are not supposed to because of the environment, because of the carbon footprint. How many politicians lecture us about the planet only has eight months left, or I'm sorry, eight years left, or 12 years left? But they're always flying somewhere. They fly everywhere. She's flying four times a week. I mean, I have nothing against a person flying four times a week. It doesn't sound great to me. But, I mean, you do you. If that's what you want to do, fine. But you can't be somebody that lectures us about the environment. It would be like lecturing people about world hunger and giving a banquet. Right? We're having a banquet. We're having an all-you-can-eat buffet banquet to raise awareness about world hunger. That's really what it is, right? The people that are that are constantly preaching and teaching, it's always stuff we can't do, but they can do. And not only they can do it, but it's important that they do it. When you and I fly, apparently it's not important. We have no reason at all. See our mother, visit our kids, take a vacation. So frivolous and unimportant. When they fly, they're saving the environment. Apparently, their planes run on something other than fossil fuel. I don't know. Maybe they're, do their planes fly on, on um, you know, like the morning dew? or Are they rainbow-powered? It's just that, that just clicked for me when I saw that. There's so many different ways you could make fun of this, but I don't know. It, it's funny how we are... The people who are constantly telling us how disappointing our preferences and habits are and how much we're going to have to change and all the stuff we're going to have to give up, they're not even making a token effort. They're not even making like a symbolic, you know, at least for the visuals kind of effort, right? Like in the past, if you go into history, people would, um, people in power would try to signal that they too were cutting back. If there was, you know, if if, if it was like we're we're uh, we're rationing something, or we're calling for people to conserve something because it's a national emergency or it's a time of war, you'd have wealthy people and powerful people symbolically sh- showing how they too are pitching in, joining in. That was one of the the. Um, Anecdotes about Queen Elizabeth, people told to, to speak of her character. Well, hey, during the war, here's here's a princess. During the war, she's rolling bandages and doing first aid and driving an ambulance. And I don't know if she really did those things or she just did them for the symbolic, but, but at least the, the idea in the royal family was, well, we want to show people that this is not just for them, it's for all of us. The people that are now our royal families, if you will, have none of that. 
I guess maybe grace is the word for it, you know, where you at least sort of kind of signal that, hey, this is hard, but I'm doing it too. Or we all need to do this. It's so important, I'm doing it too. You don't get that anymore. So, Ana Navarro. <laughs> Not that she's a princess. Not I didn't say that. Don't quote me on that. Christian, where are you on the whole issue of self-driving uh, taxis? Not going to do it. How do you feel it. about that? Nope. Not going to nope. do it. Not even close. Are you a nervous passenger when there's a human driving? Well, not necessarily, but the difference, Jack, is that there's a person. Yeah. You could say to them, hey, the stop sign. And then, up next, we're going to have, would you get on an airplane flown by an automatic? Mm. Of course not. See, I'm mm. not the kind of guy who's going to jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet with a parachute if Mm-mm. the engines are working just fine. Right. So that's yeah, me. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so two no votes on that. Um, <laughs> was I, was I clear? have our ride. <laughs> right. Um, hopefully there'll still be an option where you can have a, you can request, you know, maybe you can put in a, a request for a human driver. Maybe that'll, in the future, maybe that'll be like, you know, a, an extra service or premium or something. 210-599-5555 or at KTSA.com for the JR poll. Would you get into a self-driving taxi? General Motors has this uh, offshoot called Cruise. Uh, it was some uh, little startup that they bought, and uh, they're expanding it to uh, multiple cities, including, by the way, Austin. Uh, so at some point this year, Austin will have uh, some of these. It'll be okay in Austin because you'll just be sitting there in traffic, not going anywhere, so nothing to be nervous about. But uh, yeah, so you'll know if you. I mean, if you use this company, it's not like it's not like you'll you'll go on Uber or you'll call the XYZ cab company and the the uh, Headless Horseman will show up. This is a company that bills itself as a self-driving, you know, uh, taxi company. So would you be okay with that? Would you like that? Would you prefer? Now, here, here, are, the, here are the benefits, okay? Uh, no need to make awkward small talk, right? Like, you know, sometimes you get in an Uber and maybe you're in a bad mood or something happened. You're just not feeling it. And there's a chatty Kathy, you know. That's not going to be a problem. Um, if you need to have like an important phone call or a, a personal phone call, no one's overhearing you, as far as we know. There's no BO with the self-driving car. You know, I'm just saying, you know, once in a while, it's not all the time, but once in a while you get in the car, driver's just had himself a, you know, a very garlicky meal or something. So not going to be an issue. Uh, would you do it? 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. And we were talking about um, politics and politicians. I guess my the way I look at it is you can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, you can be an independent. I can't get with either of these parties because there's so many garbage people in both of them. So if you're going to say, I'm an R or I'm a D, that puts you on the team with people I don't want to be on the team with. I'll tell you my ideas. I'll tell you the stuff I believe in or I like or I favor. And I'll be in favor of anyone who can advance those things. Whoever wants to run with that ball has my support. But as far as thinking that if we could just have more of this group or more of that group, we'd be we'd be better off i don't we're just these are not our best people and i mean if you really go deep you could start asking the question well 
isn't it, in fact, the case that the way politics now works, I've had this discussion many times, the way, the way politics, the way running for office, at least, works these days, what it requires, what it entails, discourages or so the people we hypothetically wish for because they're not going to do what you have to do. And I don't just mean running for president, although that's a big part of it. R- you know, running for Congress. It's a circus. And then on top of that, unless if you have a spouse, if you have children, you are signing them up. And I don't just mean signing them up like they have to stand with you at the parade. I mean, they are now in the crosshairs of some really weird people. Because from doing this, we talk about politics, but I'm not in it. I've learned from doing this. There are some very sick who think nothing of threatening or uh, implicating your child. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. You wouldn't, you can't even believe the stuff that's been said to me. And I'm not even running. Imagine if somebody sets out to run for a, a house seat or a senator. And so we're not getting our best people. And the parties are at their lowest points. I mean, you know, take your pick. I'll be, I'll be glad to catalog the, the, the faults of most of them. What do you think? 210-599. Uh, a kid in somebody's lawn, right? You know, an, a, a, a sign... Had the name of the party because it was important to know: is that the Democrat or is that the Republican? Noticed how more and more of the signs, in fact, I would say most of the signs, don't even mention that. And you know why? Because these people are embarrassed by the other people in their party. They don't want to be associated with them. Here, I'm a. Senator Mark Kelly, the the astronaut turned senator, he's a Democratic senator from Arizona, and he's running a challenger named Blake Masters. So this is Mark Kelly doing a local Arizona TV station interview. The guy asks him, be interested in campaigning with President Biden. Cut number one. Listen to this. And so if he came out here held an event, uh, you'd, you'd attend that event. You'd oh, like I, would, to, you'd I, would like certainly, I would certainly consider it. Consider is not. I would, well, I would look at it. Yeah, yeah I mean, sure. I mean, I, mean it, I could be in Washington, you know, voting on important legislation. I mean, that's that's very that's very. It's a possibility, but if you were free, you'd, you'd gladly go and. Well, it, and, and it would and, depend and on what the event was, where it yeah. was, and you know what's you know what's what's the goal. But if the president wanted to come out here and 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 see Arizona, you know, I'd welcome him to do that. If he wants to come see Arizona, that's fine. I won't be there, says the member of the president's own party. I mean, this guy flew the space shuttle. This is an obvious question. And what's wrong with just saying, yeah, I mean, he's my president. 
yeah, of course I would take him around and, and appear with him. Can't do it. You can hear the gears turning inside Mark Kelly's head as he tries to figure out how close can I get to Biden before that hurts me and how much might it hurt me if I appear too, you know, evasive. And by the end of the, the answer, it, it, it's not an answer at all. You're embarrassed for him. It's so squirrely and evasive. It's, it's not a hot-button question. If Biden came, would you campaign with him? Would you like him to campaign with you? And then there was a question about um, how Biden is doing on the job as president. Listen to this, cut number four. Your thoughts on his job. Has he done a good job, do you think? Hey, uh, you know, I, you know I, first of all, it's not my job to give him a report card. Okay, I, uh, could you play that again? Play that again. This is the answer to, is he doing a good job? Your thoughts on his job. Has he done a good job, do you think? Hey, uh, you know, I, you know I, first of all, it's not my job to give him a report card. Have you ever heard a senator that couldn't... ...on president? Either, if it's of a party yeah mount rushmore or if it's the other party worst president ever listen to mark kelly cannot answer the question which is i guess an answer in and of itself right yeah i uh i saw them having a big party on the lawn of the white house today they had everything Joe Biden took his jacket off. Kamala Harris was there. Nancy Pelosi was there. Chuck Schumer was there. They had the Marine Band. They had balloons. They had ice cream. They had James Taylor. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. James Taylor. You know it's a Democratic uh, president. You know it's a Democratic administration if James Taylor is there. If James Taylor's ever singing with a Republican president, they'll have a gun to his head. So what were they celebrating, Jack? Did we just win a war? Did we just knock off another ISIS terrorist? No, they were celebrating victory over inflation. We won. Did you know? We've won. We've defeated inflation. Inflation is going to sign a surrender document on the deck of the USS... No, I'm just making that. See, they're celebrating the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. And because it's passed, we've beaten inflation. Now, just today, literally just a couple of hours before the party, the government released its inflation numbers. They're terrible. They were higher than expected by a lot. The stock market plunged, plummeted. In fact, all the global markets did. But don't pay any attention to that, because apparently the stock market didn't know about the party. And when you stop off at HEB on the way home, and $60 is buying what 30 used to buy, and 120 is buying what 60 used to buy, 
and you're blinking and putting on your specs to make sure you're seeing the price right. That's not really happening. Because James Taylor sang a song today. And ice cream. I have seen fire and I've seen rain. He's seen fire and he's seen rain. Yeah. So, I'm not hating on James Taylor. I love James Taylor. But, I mean, these people, honest to God, they're having a party. They're having a... They've got the... um, They've got the technique down. This is this is definitely a party. I mean, balloons and ice cream is a good start. But in what universe have we beaten inflation? How how is that a thing? How do you pull that off? Do you just pick a date and go we're going to declare it over on that date? Yep, September 13th. That's it. By the way, I predict that in the next couple of months, we're now within two months of voting, I think there'll be a lot more declarations of of victory. I bet you anything, gas prices are going to go down, and they'll be the lowest they've been in a year and a half right before the election. They'll do anything they have to do to get it down there. I mean, you'll, you'll pull up to a gas station, and Pelosi will be pumping the gas for you. No, 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 we're, we're pulling uh, oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And I saw a story today that says the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is our, our country's you know, emergency reservoir, underground emergency reservoir of petroleum in the event of a war, natural disaster, it's now at the lowest point it's been since... We started it. The difference is, when we started it, we were adding to it. And right now, we're not adding to it. So I want to thank you all. I really mean it. From the bottom, I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, how does it make you feel to hear victory declared over something you're still living with? You know, this would be like, to use the World War II analogy, this would be like if we had the, the, the you know, big parade in Times Square and the ticker tape and the sailor kissing the nurse and, and our guys are still getting slaughtered on the battlefields. The fighting is still going on. The fighting man looks over his shoulder, looks back home, and, and the, the folks at home are celebrating. How would that make him feel? How does that make you feel? You're in the store. You're opening bills. You're putting them on your desk in the order of what has to be paid and what can wait. You've got too much month and too little paycheck. You even got a raise, but the raise has been completely wiped out by inflation. You voted for lower taxes, but you got this. You were told taxes will only go up on the rich. 
But inflation is a tax on us. Just by another name. And they had ice cream and balloons. James Taylor. Joining the show now on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line is United States Congressman Tony Gonzalez from the 23rd Congressional District. Congressman, good afternoon. Welcome back. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me back on. So over the weekend, uh, Vice President Harris uh, told Meet the Press that the border is secure. The interviewer was so incredulous, he asked the question again. She repeated it. The border is secure. What do you think? I don't know what border she's talking about. She's certainly not talking about the southern border. And anyone who's ever been there recently or knows someone there or just turns on the TV, honestly, will know that the border's not secure. What's what's crazy about this whole deal is just when you don't just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. You know, they're in San Antonio. We're now having our firefighters man this migrant center. It's just it's talk about putting America last. In El Paso, the the Border Patrol is so overwhelmed. The NGOs are so overwhelmed. They're literally releasing hundreds of people in the street. They're sleeping. They're sleeping uh, uh, on the on the side of the street. So this is uh, it, it's almost as if we're walking through a third world country. It's wild. I, I noticed that a lot of times when politicians are pinned down about the border, they pivot to our quote unquote broken immigration system. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't they get called on that? Because if you're an illegal immigrant. You're not in the immigration system. That's the whole point of this. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, here, here, you're, you're spot on, Jack. And, look, 95% of the people coming over right now do not qualify for asylum. So you're right. They're, they aren't encouraging immigration. They're encouraging legal, illegal immigration. And, you know, they don't. The, the reality is we have work shortages in every single industry. And I've got businesses tell me, Tony, I'll hire anyone, but I can't hire somebody that doesn't have documentation. So this helps nobody. And and also these people have to live in the shadows their whole lives, not to mention the 800 people that are going to die this year uh, or that over 700 have already died. Horrible deaths. Imagine being cooked to death in a truck or imagine dying of dehydration in a desert or drowning. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And it's just mind boggling. You have the administration that goes, nothing is wrong, don't look here. I mean, their transparency is is absolutely horrific. We have a Republican state government. The governor has talked a lot about the border. He has pledged to do something about it. But if the border is still unsafe and still not secure, does that make it a Republican failure, too? I think it's an American. I think it's an American failure. It's Amer- It's a failure on all Americans. We because we all uh, share in the brunt of what happens when the border is secure. You're, one, you're seeing it with the crime that's happening. The, the uh, you're also seeing it with the fentanyl. The, the number of fentanyl deaths uh, last week uh, in Del Rio in our in our in, in my district, we had three people die of fentanyl. Literally every city in America has a similar story where people are dying of fentanyl. So, yes, I think it's everyone's it's everyone's responsibility, including the Republican Party. What, what I'd say is this, though, you know, Joe Biden has failed America and he he himself has single handedly turned this border upside down. And I think if if, if uh, people are willing to vote Republican in November and put House uh, Republic House majority in the Republican hands, it's going to be on House Republicans. To, to do something about it, you're going to see on on the 23rd of the month, here in about 10 days, you're going to see House Republicans roll out this commitment to America. And on that commitment to America is going to show exactly what we are going to do in order to, to solve this crisis. 
We're talking with Congressman Tony Gonzalez on KTSA. The um, the word sometimes is used invasion. Are you comfortable or uncomfortable with that word? Uh, you know, honestly, when I, when I think of invasion, the first thing I think of is Iraq and Afghanistan. I spent 20 years in the military. I don't know what you call this. Uh, what I do know is people's lives are turned upside down. I was in Rock Springs. Uh, you know, it's about 70 miles from the border on Friday. I had a lady break down in tears saying, hey, she's a county clerk. And she goes, Tony, you know, in years past, we had about 15 uh, cases on the docket. Now we have over 100. You know, like these people are breaking into our homes and doing all these different things. Many people like to call it an invasion. I mean, I, I try to stay away from the rhetoric, rhetoric and, and try to focus on solutions because it's easy. Because here's the deal, Jack. You know this better than anyone. These politicians, they will use this over and over again, blame each other for everything that's wrong. Meanwhile, nobody wants to roll up their sleeves and go, hey, this is what I commit to doing. That's what you're going to see the House Republicans do on the 23rd is going, this is what we commit to doing on day one. The um, mayor of Washington, D.C. said the other day that because of the busloads that Governor Abbott and Governor Ducey from Arizona have sent, she complained that now, or actually it was a city council member in D.C. complaining that now we are a border town that Washington, D.C. is now a border town. And, of course, sanctuary cities like Chicago and New York are wailing and moaning about the arrival of a few thousand illegal immigrants, which is the amount that come into these small Texas border towns every week. Mm-hmm. You know what? She's right. She is a border town. Every, literally every, every town and city in America has become a border town. But no one's more of a border town than the actual border town of Eagle Pass or Del Rio, who is literally seeing thousands of people come over. You know, I read a report today that, you know, uh, that, that some people were, their pets were, were now being killed, that the property was being stolen. I mean, it's just such a, a, it's gotten people so frustrated and everyone's going, this has to stop, Tony. We can't wait two more years. I can't wait two more months. This has to stop. And it's, to me, it starts by us. Just doing one simple thing, enforce the laws that are already on the books. And what are those laws? If you don't qualify for asylum, you get sent back to your country of origin, period, via these repatriation flights. Um, Last week, uh, Congressman Vicente Gonzalez uh, complained that your colleague, Myra Flores, who won her special election in June, stole her election. It was a stolen election, citing the amount of money that was spent and the efforts Republicans made to put her over the top. I have been hearing Democrats recently say that if you talk that way, you are destroying democracy. You are a threat to democracy. We're not supposed to say that about elections. But that's exactly what he said. You know, and you're you're right. And this isn't the first time that they use, the Democrats use some of this rhetoric to get their people spun up. They've done this previously, too. In reality, it's only a stolen election if Democrats lose. If Democrats win, all of a sudden it's democracy coming to hold. And and this is part of what we have to do as Republicans. We can't be on the defensive anymore. that, That time is gone. We have to be on the offensive. We have to be firm in who we are. This is what we stand for, and we have to go on the offensive. Too much is at stake. You know, before in years past, it'd be, you know, if, if we lose this one, we'll get the next one. You know, maybe the country would go a little left or a little right. That's not what, at st- what is at stake, Jack. They want to destroy our way of life, and they will scratch, scratch uh, claw, fight their way to. If you think Nancy Pelosi is going to go down quietly, 
you're in for a a rude awakening. She is going to fight to the very last day. But this is what I'm interested in. What is the the House going to look like when there is no Nancy Pelosi next year? I think that's also exciting. Like we Republicans got to go on the offensive. Do you worry on the one hand that if people hear too much red wave talk, they will take it for granted, but on the other hand, there's been a lot of contrary reporting lately about how the momentum has swung and uh the the generic ballot is swinging back toward the Democrats. So you, on the one hand, you don't want to encourage overconfidence and on the other hand, you don't want to dampen uh turnout. And, and people have been hearing about Red Wave for months and months. How do you hold that interest and keep that focus for the remaining 50-something days left? Yeah, I've never, I've never trusted polls. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, polls can, can come up with all different kinds of numbers. But what I do see is this, is I see, I see Beto holding these rallies with a room full of people in every single town, and it has me nervous. And I think as Republicans, as conservatives, we, we better bring that same energy. Because don't think for a second that Beto may get his butt kicked, but he will help every person down ballot win these races, which I think are equally as important. These school board races, these, these judges, these, the local judge races, you know, the, the district attorney here in San Antonio. We need, we as Republicans and conservatives, we need to come out enforced and we, we better, we better show up because if we don't, you know, we're we're going to be seeing we're going to be seeing a, a turn in this country, and it's not for the better. They're not, like I said, they're not trying to go a little left. They're going for the jugular, and we need we as Republicans need to be able to show up in force. Congressman Tony Gonzalez with us, Congressman. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Jack. Take care, man. All right. So I'll tell you what. Um, the the answers are fine. His answers are fine. They're they're, they're the answers you're supposed to give um, as a Republican. Um, and, and, and I like Tony Gonzalez. I have nothing against him personally. But I, I just, I really wonder if the Republicans get how, uh, over more and more people are with politics. They, sometimes they act or they sound like they're going to be fine because they're not the Democrats. But I talk to people all the time that are fed up with both parties. They may be more fed up with one than the other. They may be more done with one than the other. But they're done. And that's a, that's a problem of a different stripe than saying, well, at least we're not the other guys or we're better than the other guys. I mean, you got to do that. But, uh, I, I don't, I don't hear in any and we don't do a lot of and you probably have noticed this we don't interview a lot of politicians on this show because it's just there's no there there they don't seem to get that this is not like other elections this is not like other times in our history when you just had to be the good guys or better than the other guys and people are angry with him um about things that um you know, particular votes that he cast or particular issues. And the answer I would always uh, give you on that is, okay, well, um, you don't like the way you voted on this or you don't like the way you voted on that. Would it be better? And I'm not saying this to be facetious. I'm asking, would it be better to have somebody in there whose every vote would be something you would disagree with? 
So you don't like that he voted on gun safety. You don't like that he voted on gay marriage. But would you prefer, and I'm asking, would would you feel better if the, the person occupying that seat was voting against you on every issue? 210-599-5555. See, one of the interesting things that Democrats do is they just run up the scoreboard. They just get as many Democrats into office as they can. It doesn't matter if they're they're dummies or they're scandal prone or they're they know that there's dominance in numbers. They know that it's a at the end of the day it's a scoreboard, and they talk about it openly. They're brazen about it, right? I, I, Republican voters, and I don't disrespect this, will say this person's not conservative enough or this person's not. Um, you know, true to me on all of these issues. That's why there's the term rhino. There's no there's no comparative term like that in the Democratic Party. There isn't a, um, what would it be, a dino? <laughs> That's not a thing. And I get it. Um, and all I would offer you, and I'm not trying to change your mind, you know, I don't do that. But all I would say is, um, would you be better off with somebody who was totally polar the opposite of you or are you better off with somebody who is with you 60 or 70 percent of the time because a democratic representative in that seat will vote with pelosi and schumer 100 percent of the time there won't even be anything to talk about you will you will know in advance 100 percent of the time 210 599 5555. Omar is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hey, Omar. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, I'm okay, I guess. Correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe I didn't catch it completely, but when you asked Tony Gonzalez if the current border crisis was the Democrats' fault, did he answer? He paused a minute and said something like, it's everybody's kind of fault or we all have well i asked him i said if the governor is going to promise to do something about it but it's still unsafe doesn't that mean that republicans have failed us too and he uh, his answer was well america it's an american failure which i don't know what that even like is it my fault is it your fault yeah that that's what i gather from it because i i would like him to explain to me in extreme great detail how any of this is is my fault this morning we had two bailouts three vehicles this morning uh, my wife is coming back from dropping gabe off at school and their dps mcbullen county sheriff libel county sheriff we're only 80 miles south of san antonio we're not we're less than 100 we're not far right and of those three vehicles they they caught up with one of them and they had 10 illegal aliens in it but if yeah. that's i mean if he honestly thinks that i would love for him to explain to anybody especially me how what how, how you know how is that my fault in any way please explain. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're running out of time to make the argument that they could do a better job with this. Um I I I I respect that the governor has done a few things and the governor of Arizona seems to have done a few things. It just seems it seems way too little. And if the if they think as long as they're a little bit better than the Democrats on this it'll be enough. I I personally just my opinion I think that's that's wrong. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Uh, but Omar, I hear, I hear you, and that jumped out at me too. The idea that it's sort of well, it's it's all of our faults. Well, I, there isn't anything I can do about it. There isn't anything you can do about it. I mean, it 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 is. This is the administrative state. This would be like blaming people for a war that we lost. Well, it's all of our faults. Well, no, it's not. I, it's not mine. It's not yours. Again, um, you got a lot of choices. What are you going to do? All right. So anyway, um, uh, if you haven't heard the news, the big news today, inflation is over. They celebrated at the White House. They had James Taylor and balloons. Um, so uh, inflation's over, except for all the inflation. Inflation is over. And um, that kind of sums everything up. I mean, that, that's, that's the perfect, I guess you would say, motif for the times that, that we are in, we are led by, we are governed by, not led. We are governed, we are ruled uh, by people who proclaim an alternate reality to the one we're living, who tell us to our face we are not seeing the things we are seeing, that the reality of our life isn't reality. Reality is they passed a bill. Reality is there's a border czar, and she says the border is secure. Her, she's already done her job. Take the rest of the week off, Kamala. Reality is where you and I are, and that's what we're talking about. 210-599-5555. This was a fantastic piece. I I, I don't want to read the whole thing to you, because I know reading on the radio is not the most, but i, I got to read some of this to you. Lincoln Brown is the author. He's a columnist. He wrote this for pjmedia.com. Uh, the headline is, Sixth Graders Protect Their Fellow Students from a Creepy Teacher. What do you do when your teacher is a pervert and no one will listen? You take matters into your own hands. According to a report in the Boston Globe, sixth graders at Davisville Middle School in Rhode Island had had enough Enough of a teacher being not only cruel to the boys, but the way he treated the girls, leering at them, giving them pet names, asking them to dance for him. He asked one girl to take off her shoes and show him her toes. This is in the classroom. The teacher, who was also a coach, told the kids he had dealt with parents' complaints before and he wasn't worried. The boys in the class went to adults who blew them off. The flirting and innuendo made the girls uncomfortable. In January of last year, a group of boys decided enough was enough. They took to Discord and created a channel named after the teacher and referred to it as the pedo database for pedophile. They documented the teacher's activities, and then during the COVID-19 quarantine, they had the Discord channel on a split screen with the teacher, and they logged incidents as they happened. So they depicted the teacher on camera, in his own words, saying these outrageous things. They told incoming students about the Discord board so more evidence could be collected. In April of this year, the teacher was escorted off the premises. Allegations were filed that this teacher had stalked a preteen girl he was coaching and had been inappropriate with other students. The students had complained before, but the teacher continued to coach and teach. 
till he was hit with a restraining order. He had held other coaching jobs, and other parents had previously noted he singled out female students for special attention. And when people said, where's the evidence, the boys were right there with their database. These are sixth-grade boys who built this. Brown writes, two things stand out. First, the boys had gone to people whose job it is to protect students, and no one cared. They had to take matters into their own hands. Forget about pronouns, gender, and CRT for a minute. The left can't figure out why parents want to know what's going on in children's classrooms. This is why. Preteen girls are being harassed and exploited by a person in a position of trust and power, and nothing was done. How long did this go on? How long had it gone on? How many students had to suffer this humiliation? One of the boys was quoted as saying, I don't think there's a single adult who would ever, like their parents, my mom, anybody in the school, who had ever really taken the whole thing seriously before. The boys were being treated shabbily and not listened to, and the girls were being sexually harassed. Second, writes Brown, let us have no more of this treating boys as second-class citizens. Let's dispense with the boys are dumb, throw rocks at them t-shirts. It's time to stop discouraging or excluding them. It's time to stop relegating boys to video games at the back of the classroom. These boys did what a man should do. They stood up for the girls in their class against a horrible man who had found a way to wedge himself into the system. And when the people who were charged with keeping them safe did not care, they did what they could do on their own. And Lincoln Brown finishes the column with this line. Every father who reads this should sit down with his son tonight and say, this is who I want you to be. And that's most of it. What are your thoughts about that? You ever hear anything like this? I'm not sure whether it's more disturbing if you have heard something like this or more disturbing if you've never heard something like this. 210-599-5555. I was reading the uh, column. Uh, This this happened in um, Rhode Island at a middle school in Rhode Island. There was a teacher that was just out of control. And I, I can imagine, I mean, he sounds like he probably has been a teacher for a while, so he wasn't a young guy. He had experience. He was a coach. He had insinuated himself into the culture of the school, probably. He had been a teacher and coach before. This wasn't his first rodeo. And there's something about, you know, I think we all know people who can hold it together enough when they're in the right place, in the right situation, so that if if a kid said, hey, this or that is going on, you would be skeptical. And as I mentioned earlier, it's also a thing that kids tend to complain about or, you know, kvetch about school. But there was obviously something really, really wrong. And the video doesn't lie. He's telling girls, wear your bathing suits tomorrow. He's having them dance. He's talking to them about how much they love him. And they eventually caught him. They captured him using technology. Amazingly enough, he seemed not to know it. And then they got action. 
but they had not been believed or reacted to before. There's a story in the news every day. I mean, I'm sorry to say this, but there's a there's a teacher had sex with a student story in the news somewhere in America every day. Usually more than one. But um this was going on and had been going on. And um one of the kids said, I don't think anyone at school took it seriously before. But they had enough. They reached a point where they had enough. And when people of any age reach a point where they've had enough, then they will do things that you can't predict, right? It's off the charts. We always wonder about that, right? Like, will this be the election where voters will do something we've never seen before or make a choice we, we, we can't predict? We had a presidential election like that, you may remember. And so they acted. Think of all the things they could have done that would have been disastrous. Instead, these kids, these are sixth graders, did something smart and shrewd. They built evidence. They got it. They made a case. And they stood up for their classmates. And interestingly enough, it was mostly boys standing up for girls. 210-599-5555. I think we have to, and, and I say this as, as the father of a, of a senior in high school, so her, her time is just about up. But um, if, if she was 10 years younger, if we were early in the process, I have to tell you as a parent, just speaking personally, I would be approaching her education in a very, very different way. I mean, she's had, a, I think, a good, mostly good experiences. I've been mostly happy with the schools and the teachers. But um, we're now in a time where we can't, as, as adults, presume or assume that conditions resemble when we were in school. And I think it's easy to do that. You can say, oh, Jack, I don't do that. I know, th- I know things have changed. But you, you kind of do. Your default thinking is, well, it's school. I went to school. And we have had our, you know, (laughs) I think we have all had our comeuppance with that. It's not what it was. It's not like it was. I'm not saying, by the way, that when we were in school, there weren't pervert teachers or coaches. Of course, there were. I'm not saying that when we were in school, there might not have been curricula that was controversial or teachers that imposed their biases because there were but there is so much more of this going on right now that the first order of business is to just forget about your time in school forget about where you went how it was what you did how you reacted none of those things apply this is an entirely new thing and one of the things that makes it different in my opinion is that we now have adults who are not even covert about the way they're interacting with our kids. So when you and I were in school, if there was a, a bad apple, he or she knew they had to be secretive, right, and covert. You have teachers today making TikTok videos where they're laying out their strategy, this is what I do, this is what I teach, here's my classroom, Here, here's my 
my brainwashing. I'm so proud of it. I want to tell everybody what I'm doing. And they're giggling about it. And they're talking about getting away with it. And they're talking about um, how they implore the kids, don't tell your parents what we do in school, what we talk about, what we say, what we do. So we've gone from it being in the shadows, still there and, and, and still and still wrong, to being um, almost like a point of, of pride. And we're promoting to kids in school things that until recently no adult would have spoken of to a, a a child unless they had the express permission of the parents or they were the parent. I mean, you can talk to your son or daughter about anything. But you would always have assumed in the past that for these sensitive subjects, for sexual subjects, well, there needs to be permission. I need to expressly give my permission. That is is not the case. Not only is that not the case, but it's being kept from you systematically. I don't remember in my entire childhood a teacher ever saying, do not tell your parents. And I'd like to think that's a red flag for kids. Like we we used to preach, when I was a kid, the big thing was stranger danger, right? I mean, you know, Somebody tried to lure you into a van or get you to come into their house or offered you candy. Those were the things we were told were tells. You have people saying to your kids now, don't tell your parents. That should be a tell. That should be an automatic alarm. And all these videos, I'm going to play one for you here coming up, of not only teachers but medical professionals counseling children on puberty blockers and gender. And it's like parents don't exist. It's like kids live on their own. It's like we've got children of the corn. You know, there are no parents. There are just kids and government. I guess that's maybe their vision, you know, that the, the, the future will be just children and government with nobody getting in the way. on KTSA. We'll have the results on the JR poll this half hour. I I will tell you, and you may have been able to detect this if you've been listening uh, to the show today, we're having a lot of technical issues and the phone system has gone down on us. So I will have to, I know there were, I've had several people email me who wanted to talk about this uh, school story. We, we We will reprise it tomorrow and have a chance to take some calls tomorrow. I can't take any calls uh, for the rest of our show, the last 20 minutes of our show tonight. Not able to do it. It's kind of out of my hands. Um, they're working on it. Um, there was um, there was a uh, story, the first thing I saw this morning, um, and I I really debated whether or not to bring this up or not. I try not to talk about inside baseball 
uh, too much. Uh, but it was in the news this morning that um, a businessman here in San Antonio named Lowry Mays had died. And you may That name may ring a bell, or the name Mays may ring a bell. Uh, Lowry Mays was 87 and was the founder of what was originally called Clear Channel Radio and then became Clear Channel Communications and then became iHeart. iHeart was their app, which became the name of the whole company and is now the name of the whole company. By the way, the the co-founder of Clear Channel was Red McCombs. And it grew out of the experience of businessmen interacting with radio and radio advertising and thinking maybe we should just own a station. And um, so they started this company, I guess, almost 50 years ago. And um, the reason I bring it up, the reason I decided to talk about it, they're not the owners of KTSA. They are the owners of one of our competitors. And that was the job that brought me to San Antonio. I can't really say I was hired by them because I never met Lowry Mays in my life. I worked there five years. I never laid eyes on him. But it was that company that I came to work for. And that was 1994. And in 1994, they were still a pretty small company. They were based here in San Antonio, and they still have a headquarters here, although I think they are much more operated out of New York and Washington today than they were back then. But for for the longest time, everything originated out of San Antonio. They were really a San Antonio company. And um, they had started with two stations here and then grew it added more stations in Texas and then more stations outside of Texas and then more stations in San Antonio. And um, I'll tell you what was interesting to me. I had um, I'd been in upstate New York. I'd worked for General Electric. The station I worked for was owned by General Electric. And they sold it at a time when a lot of radio stations were being sold and a lot of companies were uh, growing new radio companies and existing radio companies and there were there were like a lot of big outfits big big broadcasting companies huge and um i will tell you that i didn't know nearly as much about san antonio as i knew about clear channel communications and it was very appealing to me everything i knew everything i had heard I knew that it was a smart company. It was well run. People were well taken care of. And that was my experience. I came to the other station, was there for five years. Um, What's interesting is they were growing very rapidly at the time that I was there, coincidentally. But I watched them become one of the big players. So they went from being a smaller, leaner competitor to being one of the big players, buying up. and They went from buying a station here and a station there to buying whole chains. They would just you know, acquire, oh, they've acquired 120 stations or 140 stations. Anyway, 
as that happened, they changed. And this is the story in any business. You know, I mean, when your company gets way bigger, the culture changes, the experience of working for it changes, the people in charge change. As they bought other companies, they would uh, retain or acquire some of the mojo or the vibe of that other company. And sometimes it wasn't very good. And by the time I left, it wasn't what it had been. I'm not putting it down. I mean, there's great people over there, but it, it had changed. But he started it. And um, it is something that uh, really, to use a, a, a saying that gets overused, it is, it is one of those companies that put San Antonio on the map. So I never knew him. I never met him. Um, I can't say I worked for him in any personal way, but uh, but it was a well-run company. It was well-conceived, well-run, had amazing people, knew how to retain good people. Um, and uh, obviously our thoughts are with everybody over there, everybody in that company, everybody at the other stations, his family. Uh, they did a lot of uh, giving and charitable work, uh, big in the Aggie community. And uh, so I wanted to just recognize that and, and, and mention that. And it's a, it's a, um, this is a business where you, um, your experience in this business is very dependent on the people you work with and report to. So, like, when I would tell people I worked for a, a radio station that was owned by General Electric, a lot of people got the idea that, Wow, that must have been amazing. And it really wasn't. Because even though General Electric is an incredible company, one of the all-time great American corporations, um, their radio division was, was, a, was a train wreck. <laughs> it was just terrible. If that was all you knew about GE, you'd never buy one of their toasters or anything. I mean, it's refrigerators or whatever is just terrible. But, I mean, it is who you work for. It is who you work with, ultimately, that... Uh, that matters. I, I've said this before, and it's it's humbling to me. Uh, I never thought I would work in radio for this many years or have this long a time. Hopefully it's not over. But um, along the way, I have been incredibly fortunate to, to work for people or to get hired by people that all were career builders, career wreckers. There are people like that. You know what I mean. Maybe you're been right. There's there's people who will do everything they can to grow with. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm always grateful for the people I've encountered and, and I have to give them all the credit. And and you. I have to give you the credit too. Well, you know, I'm kind of a jazz nut, but even if you're not into jazz, everybody knows Ramsey Lewis, the in crowd. And uh, we learned uh, this morning that Ramsey Lewis passed away yesterday, uh, one of the all-time great American musical artists, not to mention an incredible jazz pianist and somebody that just built the genre. He was 87 years old, according to his uh, family died at his home in his native Chicago. We'll talk a little bit about him coming up here uh, momentarily. And uh, we asked you on the JR poll today, 
Um, the question was about self-driving taxis. If you haven't heard the story, there's a company that is partnered up with GM, and they're starting to do these pilot programs of, of driverless taxis uh, in various cities. Austin is going to be one of their test markets. And we asked you, would you get into a self-driving taxi? Uh, 95% said no. So if you want one, you probably won't have to wait very long. It doesn't sound like there'll be a, a wait list. Anyway, new JR poll tomorrow at 4, anytime uh, at KTSA.com. Ramsey Lewis grew up in the infamous Cabrini Green housing project in Chicago. This is one of those high-rise, supposed to be, you know, the wave of the future, turned into a nightmare for people that lived in it. It was, it was, it was the, some of the worst public housing in America, I mean, Cabrini Green is is almost the the symbol of the failure of public housing. But anyway, that's that's where he grew up and had a hard uh, life. And um, like a lot of jazz musicians, started playing music at church because that's where the you know if you wanted to learn to play piano, you had to go where the piano was. And uh, he formed a band with some other guys at the church. And um, his first band was called The Clefts, that later formed the Ramsey Lewis Trio. And in the 1960s, a lot of people said jazz was dead or dying because the Beatles, the British Invasion, rock and roll. And here comes Ramsey Lewis with a song called The In Crowd that not only races up the jazz charts, but goes to number one uh, on the pop charts and wins gold records and Grammys and is on the radio and you can argue that there are more successful jazz artists. You can argue that there are people better known in the jazz world. But I don't know if you can make the argument that anybody did more to save jazz during its kind of low period than Ramsey Lewis. I think you could make the argument that he was its best sort of ambassador during its lowest um, time. And he was one of those artists, you know, some, some jazz artists are kind of mysterious and, you know, reclusive. He would put out at least a couple of albums a year, every year. He would tour and play year after year. He would go all over. He would retire and come back, did that many times. <laughs> and um, just introduced a lot of people to jazz music, not only his own music, but uh, hosting uh, programs on public radio and television stations in Chicago all throughout his life. So uh, for the music I love, uh, Ramsey Lewis loved it too. And we uh, hope he rests in peace. We hope he's up there having the ultimate jam session with all the other greats that have preceded him. And uh, he's probably, probably having that session right now. And in the meantime, he's left us a lot of great music. And we'll leave... Uh, tonight with a little more Ramsey Lewis. Listen to that on the way out. See you back here with hopefully everything connected and working live on the radio at 4 tomorrow or find our show anytime on demand at KTSA.com.